broadcasting live from somewhere we can't be alone. This is Pop. Seamus, I gotta stop you right there. I'm gonna let you finish. But I have one of the best podcast intros of all time. What up? It's me. It's Ricardo. Hello. I'm on the show today. Oh, wow. That was so unexpected. That was that was great. Uh, Ricardo coming in hot first. I am one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother, and we actually have a special guest today, my sister, Claire Strother, who I will let introduce herself a little bit because I don't know exactly how she wants me to do so. <laughs> I'm Claire Strother. I'm Garrett's sister. I am a resident Taylor Swift expert, and I am not a complete stranger to the podcasting world, but this is my first appearance on Pop, Pop Culture Reference. Does that yes, work? Yes, it is. Yeah, right, that's cool. great. Yeah, very nice. Um, before we get into the the meat of this episode, which is the new Taylor Swift re-release album that came out this morning as of our recording, yep. is that right? As of this April 11th, or no, April 9th. Sorry, April 11th is the day we come out. Yeah, before but before we get into that very long and well done album, we got we got a little bit of news we got to get into. Well, uh also, as of this morning, uh, DMX has died at the age of 50. We were... He uh, had a heart attack a couple weeks ago and has been on life support. But uh, as of today, they took him off of it and he's passed. Oh, man, that's a shame. Yeah, he he was very influential. He, he was great and so young. It was very, very tragic. Another case of a, a tragic musician OD. Very, very sad. Yeah, and definitely a, a landmark in the pop culture world, not only for his his rapping, but also like he was he was in a fair amount of movies. I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. I have distinct memories of Cradle to the Grave from two thousand three. He was he was one of the leads in that, and I don't remember why I saw that, but it was it was weirdly compelling. He, he, he was in. Is like, that the one with Jet Li? Yeah, yeah, this is the one with Jet Li. Very, very strange, but it it was some fun stuff. He, I think he was also in like a Fast and the Furious ripoff series that I don't remember very well. But are you sure he just the, wasn't in a Fast and the Furious movie? Um, oh wait, is it a Death Race movie? It's called Fast and Fierce: Colon Death Race. Oh my Race. god! I don't know if that's part of either franchise, but he was the star of it. Amazing. That sounds great. Well, yeah, this has been this has been dominating the news cycle this week because of so many people like kind of prematurely uh, sending their in memoriams and now, yeah, of course, because he was know, comatose. Actual for, statement from his for a, a while, and it was a, it was always up up in the air whether or not they were gonna you know make their decision. But tragically, X can no longer give it to you. God, that is eloquently put, Ricardo. Truly, that that was that was moving in a way. Next up, we've got a, an update on the ongoing Ray Fisher DC situation, which just seems to be getting more and more damning to uh, director Joss Whedon and the execs over at WB. Uh, there was a watershed interview with him this week in the Hollywood Reporter with Ray Fisher. That is. As well as a Vanity Fair Chris Terrio article, who was, of course, a writer on Justice League, as well as Star Wars Episode Nine, the one that you all hated. <laughs> God. Oh, man, these are damning articles. 
ow, I've burned myself and all this scalding hot tea. Oh, God, yeah. Ricardo, you know a lot more than we do, I think. What's the what's the new breakdown of this information? I'm going to assume I'm the only one here who's read both articles. Uh, I read both the articles. Oh, okay, so we can have... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff involving a Joss Whedon and Jeff Johns, specifically. Uh, just a lot of really unprofessional, unnecessary behavior, uh, especially from Joss Whedon. And I think the one that's dominating the news story, uh, the, the most headlines I've seen have been about how he multiple times threatened Gal Gadot's career during the making mm-hmm, of Justice League, mm-hmm. which is just a fascinating I have, thing. That, I have that The somewhere. hubris in that. What's up? An exact quote? Yeah, I do, actually. Is it Godot? Godot or Godot? What am I supposed to say? I think it's Godot. I think... I, I've always... I used to always say Godot, but I've heard it being said Godot a well, lot lately. Good, by, like, well, official Godot has... She had apparently had multiple concerns about the movie, about its, you know, the rewrites. Saying that issues about her character being more aggressive than her character in Wonder Woman. She wanted to make the character flow from one movie to the next. But, you know... There was a clash with Josh Sweden in which he he tried to force her to record lines he that she didn't want to, which resulted in him threatening to harm Gidot's career, like Garrett said, disparaging Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins. Oh, and great. Then, yeah, I forgot about that. There's a quote from someone that witnessed the thing that said Joss was bragging that he had it out with Gal. He told her he's the writer and she's going to shut up and say the lines and he can make her look incredibly stupid in this movie. Oh my god, this it truly just gets worse and worse. Jesus. Which is, without getting too much into direct quotation, also very similar to in, uh, an encounter he had with Ray Fisher about saying... Yeah, I have that pulled up to the whole, the booyah debacle. <laughs> because, Claire, I'm sure you don't know this. I, uh, you're, I, you would be correct. Phrase. <laughs> um... Cyborg's catchphrase from the Teen Titans TV show is Booyah, but he doesn't say that in the comics or the uh, or other incarnations of the character. Gotcha. And so they wanted to put it in as an Easter egg, um, but he felt that Joss Whedon's take on the character was he was trying to cut out basically all of the substance of that character, who's really the heart of that film, gotcha. as, as it was originally written, gotcha. and try to just turn him into like a catchphrase machine, which is... Like a cut, and he found that to be tokenist, and like they were trying to take away the substance of the character and turn it into just kind of like, oh, he said it like from the TV show. Right. Listen to this. Yeah. Co- uh, co-chairman of DC Films and a producer took him to dinner and said this. This is one of the most expensive Warner, one of the most expensive movies Warner has ever made. What if the CEO of AT and T has a daughter? Or son, and that son or daughter wants to see Cyborg say booyah in the movie, and we don't have a take of that. I could lose my job. (laughs) Oh, that is disgusting. Jesus. It gets worse. Once he actually showed up on the day to shoot the booyah scene, which was just him saying the word and nothing else. As he arrived on set, Whedon stretched out his arms and said a line from Hamlet in a mocking tone, Speak the speech I pray you as I pronounced it to you. Which Fisher replied, Joss, don't, I'm not in the mood. Jeez, dude. Yeah, so it's just, it's become very clear that multiple actors from the film kind of tried to step out and 
indicate that their characters were either being sidelined or inconsistently written, and that any time that it was tried to be brought forward to WB execs, they shut it down. So, which is kind of what Ray Fisher's been saying all along, but we're getting a lot more substantiation of that. Also from Chris Terrio, who said that he was really upset when the final film bore almost no resemblance to the script that he wrote with Snyder. And in, in retrospect, this is making a lot more sense to me about why so many of the actors were so eager to sub jump on the Snyder Cut bandwagon, even though obviously they're actors who understand that the Snyder Cut, quote-unquote, didn't actually exist. Yeah, I'm just, we're just picking out little bits here. There, there's so much more in the article. It, there's a lot of... Like that's not even covering stuff about the investigation or the the Chris Terrio stuff that he said. Yeah, we'll de we'll definitely link those on our socials, I think, because this is something that we've been covering since it pretty much broke uh, several months ago, and it's been really interesting to see evolve. And this is the really the biggest piece of news that's come out, singular piece of news that's come out in the whole process. Right on. On to some uh, <laughs> less horrifying news. What did you guys also think? Also WB, though. Also WB, true. What did you guys think of the new Space Jam 2 trailer? <laughs> Big transition there. I'm trying to try to get us into some more cartoon rabbit territory. Everybody get up. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean... My first thoughts, obviously, it's it's Ready Player One. They're just like hitting all the yeah, like yeah. properties they own as hard as possible. Every land has their own planet. They they love to to walk the Iron Giant out and <laughs> yeah. say, "Look at the big gun we have." Yes. They love to do it. Oh man, Don Cheadle is like Tron in this for some reason. Yeah, yeah he's Algae Rhythm. Concept. <laughs> oh god. I think the big takeaway from this trailer is that it is Ready Player One, and honestly, I have so much less of a problem with that than I do with Ready Player One, because it's not trying to do it in this weird, pretentious, like, look how cool all of pop culture is. It's just, it's a big commercial for WB, yeah. just like the original Space Jam was a big commercial. I mean, I think, Ricardo, you said something to that effect last week, too. Oh yeah, this whole movie's a huge commercial. And it's, to, it's so you buy a HBO Max subscription. Or if you already have oh, yeah. one, that you keep it. But, you know, I don't have a problem with that. They resolved the issue that I was having where why did the characters look 3D? It's because apparently in the H wherever they fight in the Space Jam, they look 3D, but in the Looney Tunes place, they they look 2D. It it tracks. I'm assuming, Claire, you didn't get a chance to check out the Regrettably, trailer. I did not. I, I'm sorry. I was in class all afternoon. <laughs> That's okay. It really, I mean, yeah, you like the Iron Giant? He, he's sure there. That's for sure. Uh, were you upset with Lola Bunny's redesign? I mean, she's still there winking at people. That's for sure. You know, it may be a commercial. It may be just a huge cash grab. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't get some amount of enjoyment out of the crossovers that were happening in this. Yeah, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that manifests in the actual film. Is it going to be like background, like, oh, there's the Mad Max War Boys, oh, there's G Game of Thrones. There's the Clockwork be like, oh, Orange no, guys. They're getting in the Space Jam. Oh my god, yeah, why I... are they here? Yeah, that is something weird. They're not cool, guys. Love that movie, but... <laughs> and Pepe was no, the problem? Like, I mean, like, to, to be fair, I mean, 
I don't think they're saying that those guys are heroes. They've also got the White Walkers from Game of Thrones and um, the War Boys from Mad Max yeah, that in that true. same shot. So, yeah, I'm interested. I, I mean, who knows? Maybe that's a planet full or a whatever ver- computer. Maybe it's the bad guy server is what mm. I'm saying. Yeah, sure. I saw Danny DeVito penguin next to 1960s penguin, so... I'm in. Wait, really? Yeah, in the background, in the crowd. I, I totally missed There's that. There's all sorts of people in the crowd. So yeah, I'm interested to see how those how those crossovers manifest for sure. May May I inquire what different what these different crossovers mean for different you know cinematic universes? Are these all like? It sounds to me like it's a lot of players, right? And so it's does that have further implications for if anyone wants to like track? what happens in the same universe, right? So it's like so like how are these going to impact the Game of Thrones world? Right. And like I assume like, there's no like tangible plot points that it would ever like engage with, but I I do think it's I I there's you see like all these weird diagrams about like <laughs> but if this exists in the same universe as this, then that means that you know this was happening at the same time as this. And I can't think of any examples right now. But No, but y- that's a good thought because I want. It, next, I think it's. I think the most interesting part. I want the next Game of Thrones thing to come out, and have a whole arc acknowledging that time they all went to the Space Jam. <laughs> oh, you remember that one basketball tournament we played against Mad Max? Oh, good times. Yeah, I'd like. I'd like. To I see think that yeah. the interesting. The interesting thing to Claire's point is, I think. If you go back to the because clearly the first Space Jam and the second Space Jam are in the same universe, right? Because they're. The Space Jam movies. I guess they have to if be. If you go back, is um is any of the WB properties that they're going to bring into these movies, are they going to have Bill Murray and Wayne Knight in them? Well, specifically <laughs> Wayne Knight, because Bill Murray plays himself in the first Space Jam. That is true. But if Wayne Knight is in any of the WB properties that they're bringing into it, <laughs> is is there just a fictional Wayne Knight, like... Is there is there a second Wayne Knight in the Space Jam universe who plays all the Wayne Knight characters? I think Claire, that's the most interesting implication of your of your question is the actors who aren't playing themselves from the first Space Jam. Right. Like is is Don Cheadle in any of the WB things? Is he also Algae Rhythm? Like honestly, I need the corkboard and the string and the the big layout. Somebody's bound to do that giant diagram and i need to i need to examine it but how do the animaniacs it's probably all the tommy westfall universe oh i hope the animaniacs show up and try to play because i mean michael jordan's gonna be in it right like he's gonna have a cameo i mean they better it would be insane if they didn't i i'm hoping he gets to ball with somebody like specifically great like the animaniacs i mean i mostly hope i'm mostly hoping for some looney tunes back in action yeah oh yeah yeah that's true but let's move on to some more WB news, which is actually, like, real news, which is that Godzilla vs. Kong has been smashing the box office like it's downtown Hong Kong. Got Ooh, roasted, take that. And... <laughs> <laughs> we, we, are friend- we are friendly with Hong Kong on this podcast, specifically. <laughs> I, I, I meant to about the Of course, I know. Where they smash Hong Kong, not the protests, but... Um, they it made almost fifty million dollars its first five days domestically with two hundred and eighty five million international. So that means it is well on track to earn the rate of a regular summer tent pole 
And that, with the fact that you can stream it on HBO Max, you know, for the price of one movie ticket, you can buy a month of HBO Max. Our boys changing the game. Yeah, I'm so glad this this big blockbuster really it pulled off what it was supposed to. I'm I'm happy to hear it. I mean, I'm still not I'm still not going back to theaters, but I do think there are enough people that are vaccinated, and the fact that the theaters haven't lifted a lot of their COVID restrictions yet that it is a lot safer for people to begin transitioning back in. And it is encouraging to me that for the future of theaters in general, that if you can stream something on home, on HBO Max at home, or you could go to the theater to see it, people are clearly, a lot of them, choosing to go to the theater to see it. Waiting on my second dose. I'm ready. Put me <laughs> out there. Yeah, man, I'm... I, the more I get closer to my second vaccine, the more I'm thinking about, like, what really... I really did want to see Godzilla vs. Kong on that big screen, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting more tempted, that's for sure. So I'll be interested to see when Mortal Kombat comes out in a couple weeks, if it continues that trend, or is it going to, like, crash and burn? Is Godzilla vs. Kong going to be the outlier, and the rest of these WB movies are going to underperform, you know? Yeah, we'll see. Alright, so some more movie news is that Netflix and Sony have signed a licensing deal which makes all Sony movies uh, from 2022 on releasing exclusively on Netflix after their theatrical run, which, I mean, it's pretty similar to how WB works with HBO. And it made me realize something because the two the two headlines I saw on my timeline right back-to-back about this were the Sony Spider-Man movies, which that... so. If you have Netflix and Disney Plus, you'll be able to watch all the Marvel movies. But the other one was the Nathan Drake image of Tom oh. Holland, and it totally clicked with me why Tom Holland's lead in the Uncharted movie. And the answer is because Sony has invested in making Tom Holland their boy. <laughs> there it is. You cracked the code, man. You you I think nailed it. Because of course Sony owns PlayStation. Sony is developing the Uncharted movie, so. I think that makes a lot of sense to me that they've already put all this money into making a Spider-Man and and training him to be in shape and everything else that they've invested in this young hot star and they're gonna you they're gonna milk him and put him in their other big franchise. Netflix isn't gonna slip into like premium access though, is it? That's just gonna be their old normal stuff. I hope it's just after oh. it's the actual. Oh, yeah, run. I guess that would make sense then. So I think I think no, I don't think it's gonna be premium access. I I do wonder if you're gonna be able to. Watch it on Netflix before you can rent it or something, though. Ooh, yeah, maybe that's the angle. That would be interesting. And, I mean, this could be something that, like, Netflix is floundering. And this could be something that actually saves them. Because they have a lot of good movies. Sony has a lot of good movies. And I'm assuming this will kind of retroactively come into their back catalog, kind of like Disney+. Plus, You know, where once their tenure ends Mm -hmm. on one streaming service, then they can move over to Netflix. So, like, you can see, like, Baby Driver... Or the original Spider-Man movie. Sony Animation's really stepped up its stepped up its game recently, Uh, and that definitely clocks with Netflix's uh, animation plans for the future. So maybe that's going to be the big uh, carryover. That's true. We've literally talked about those two things in conjunction. That actually makes a lot of sense. That if they're both kind of trying to up their game on animation, that they would try to elevate that. Claire, you have any you have any groundbreaking? thoughts on the um i i do think that sony did uh open season right so that's that could be a really it's that's a it's it's just how good is open film seamus have you seen open season but i love open season that movie (laughs) okay there we go there we go 
Y'all remember oh, Open God. Season 2? Hell yeah, I remember Open Season 2. He drinks that garbage coffee. That might have been the first <laughs> one. I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, let's, touch on, let's touch on this Loki yeah, trailer. Yeah, let's, let's so. do that. Claire, are you a Marvel person? I am at times a Marvel person, I would say. I enjoy I enjoy watching a Marvel movie. I don't think about a Marvel movie after I watch it would be sort of my take on that. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Just like most of the yeah. world. Except Specifically for Loki. What are your thoughts on Loki the man? The man, the myth, the legend. Um, I don't have many thoughts. I, I also was not able to watch this trailer, regrettably. Yeah. It's it's a show, right? It's a TV show, right? Yeah, it's a Disney Plus. Okay, yeah. okay. Maybe, yeah, probably one of the only shows that you could go into with lesser context of the greater world. It seems to be kind of a jumping off point of the old 2012 Avengers. Gotcha. It seems to, yeah, I was gonna say, it seems to me if you've seen the original Avengers movie and you know, you can understand the concept that there's an alternate reality where Loki escaped. Okay. That's all you need that's to know. That's about all I know. So oh, this could perfect. be this could be perfect for me. Yeah, yeah it's a uh, big, you know, wibbly wobbly time and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's sci-fi. All fun. Owen oh, Wilson's there. He's still got a mustache. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he yeah. better say that at least a handful of times. Oh man, yeah. This trailer, we got some cool stuff in this trailer. We got another DB Cooper moment. Uh, I think there was a flash second of him talking with Black Widow. On Voromir, it looked like just for a split second. I saw Voromir, but I didn't connect that. That's what maybe. That would be. I mean, so that's interesting. He's definitely he's gonna be all over the place. It looks like so. We'll we'll see what shenanigans he he creeps around with. Yeah. We'll see how the show. You know, we've been talking about the idea of. No, I was gonna say uh, we'll see how the show plays out. But from this trailer, I think it, I'm getting a little bit of a, a WandaVision vibe, or at least they're covered in the same cloth, where they're both kind of quirky. Quirky indeed. Well, I mean, sure. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely leaning into a more, like, time travel, mission-based structure, it seems to me. Like, it's, it, like WandaVision sure had the episodic nature of, like, oh, we're in a different sitcom every week. But this has a little bit more of a driving, we're set, the quantum leaping to set the time where it went wrong vibe to me. Like, like I think this very much has a, a quantum leap or an early edition. Oh, yeah. Like... Mission of the Week vibe to me. Yeah, is think- WandaVision sliders, and then this is Quantum Leap, right? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that's <laughs> there pretty it good, is. Claire. This is a podcast for nobody. <laughs> <laughs> that's Whoever our gets those- brand. <laughs> exactly. Anybody who gets all of that wrapped up into one, they, they understand us. Obscure 80s and 90s. There's this great TV, TV show from the that's- 90s called Sliders, right? <laughs> I believe it's yeah. pronounced Frasier. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Loki better run into Frasier at some point during his 90s visit. I don't even know what we're doing there. Is Well, if we're doing the multiverse, we could bring in Kelsey Grammer from Frasier and Kelsey Grammer from X-Men. and just have. Oh, yeah. I was just about to ask, where, like, why hasn't he been cast in a Marvel thing yet? But, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they bring over the old political beast. Loki opens the back of the plane in D.B. Cooper episode, but instead of Quicksilver being there, it's Kelsey Grammer Frazier. Perfect. Everybody's clapping. And he says, I'm Loki. Dear God, and then the plane explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Frazier and Niles also, um, this is an Easter egg that you may have missed, are also in the crowd in the Space Jam trailer. Oh my God. (laughs) They're going to ball down. 
Niles is going to make that half-court shot from that one episode in, like, season seven. It's going to be great. <laughs> this is our best episode. <laughs> We've never had a guest naturally bring up more Frasier content, so we're already <laughs> in the <wind. laughs> uh, And last up, Cartoon Network Studios Europe is rebranding as Hanna-Barbera Studios Europe, which... I think is a very interesting transition. It, that says to me, you know, did you not? A, Claire and I know WB owns Hanna Barbera. Does WB own Hanna Barbera? That was what yeah, I was asking. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, the whole car- cartoon now where okay, Hanna Barbera, so all that. So WB too. Oh, that makes sense because w- because Hanna Barbera is at Six Flags. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And you know they did stuff like Harvey Birdman and well, it's uh, the other one, Space Ghost. Coast to coast. So it is. So it is tied, and I'm just <laughs> stupid. So coming back. Um, yeah, boomerang. Bring it back to boomerang. Uh, are <laughs> are the it always are, comes the, back. are the Flintstones gonna <laughs> much like a boomerang? Is there a boomerang planet in Space Jam Two? Is <laughs> um, I would love that. It's all just the weird transitions of those little uh, like jumping toys of the Hanna Barbera uh, characters they did instead of commercials. That's what I'm looking love for. Them. Oh, you're bringing me right? back, Shane. You guys remember what I'm talking about? <laughs> With a whole planet oh, of those, yeah. I'd yeah, ooh, we watched love it. it. <laughs> but, I mean, this says to me that they are transitioning from the Cartoon Network branding to a more, like, classic tone. Maybe putting uh, more of an emphasis on bringing back their old characters. Like, you know, I know we had Scoob, which was trying to kind of set up a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe that may or may not. Which I am happen, on board but... for on paper. <laughs> Claire, Claire, I mean, they already did the Hanna-Barbera Cinematic Universe when they had the Jetsons meet the Flintstones. So that's that's all I need. But Claire, what do you think? You've actually got stuff to say about this. Um, I think that if we got a remake of Viva Rock Vegas, we would all be better for <laughs> oh it. Oh my god. <laughs> Bring back John Goodman as the one guy. <laughs> I don't remember who he plays. Um, Come on, I mean, man. what's Cartoon? This is Cartoon Network Europe. You said I don't. I don't know what Cartoon Network yeah. is like doing contemporary. Like I don't know what they're up to. Do they do like Gumball? Is Magic World of Gumball on there? Yeah, like... yeah, they're they're the Gumball people. Okay, interesting. But yeah, other than that, I guess I don't know any iconic Cartoon Network stuff popping off right now. Like Gravity Falls was also Disney. It's Never Disney, mind. Goddamn. Yeah. Infinity. Adventure yeah, Time is over. Adventure Time's over. They've got Distant Lands, but that's more of an epilogue thing. Infinity Train is an HBO Max original now. Yeah, so I feel so like it makes hearing... sense where it's like if they don't have a ton going for them right now. But I don't know. Ex- exactly what I was going to say, Claire. Like, this seems like a good time to be trying out a rebrand and seeing what works. They do have that Jellystone show coming up on HBO Max where it's all the Hanna-Barbera characters oh, right. hanging out. Yes. Mm. I was a so I mean yeah. yeah I was a big Flintstones fan as a child I was a big big Flintstones fan so I'm excited about that I don't know here's a obscure we went to the Flintstones park in South Ooh, Dakota and fun. everything <laughs> it's true here's an obscure Hanna Bar bear effect uh, Mexicans love Top Cat remember Top Cat really? <laughs> oh yeah of course there's even like there's two Top Cat movies that were big in Mexico too fairly recently. That is the weirdest piece of information, Ricardo. Do with that what you will. Mexicans love Top Cat. Yeah, Don Gato. love Top Hat and Speedy Gonzalez, apparently. We, we keep coming back to, like, the national <laughs> opinion of Mexico on cartoon characters. 
Maybe that's what. Maybe they should be rebranding Cartoon Network Mexico to Hanna Barbera. And that's Mexico. how they just start printing pesos. <laughs> and that's when I will strike. <laughs> All right, I think we've taken a little curvy, curvy journey down our news segment. I think we're we're ready to move into our main segment. Fearless parentheses Taylor's version. Yeah, lots of parentheses coming up. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. This one is from the vault, you guys. <laughs> now it's time for our main segment where we're going to be breaking down Fearless, parentheses, Taylor's version. And it's feeling really nice to not have to be like, no spoilers or whatever. Just talking about a thing. And if it's good, Swear it will be God, liked. Swear to God, Garrett, if you like. spoil this album for me. <laughs> well, there's six new tracks, so really you could, in theory. You know, if you true. haven't listened yeah. to Bye Bye Baby yet, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to... Sing it live a cappella for the for the gang out here, so we don't break any copy, <laughs> copyright laws. Mm. I, I I wrote down notes for this album. I didn't really know because we've never done uh, a piece of music or like an album or anything for this show before. Yeah, it would. It, I'm a little bit curious about how we're gonna tackle this. Are we just gonna jump around and talk about what we liked? Garrett had mentioned that I should explain sort of the controversy and why there's a re-recording. I don't know when I should do that, but I have like so. We're going to save that for the pop culture okay, reference, okay. which is going to be after the main segment. Okay. So we're just going to be talking about the content of the album right okay. now. And then if you guys are interested in hearing a little bit more background about, like, why is Taylor Swift re-releasing one of her old albums, but it's new now, you're going to, Claire's going to explain that to us in our pop culture reference coming up right after this. Like, it, I, I kind of jumped on some, like, like actual, like, first, second album I, I listened to a couple of those after I finished this album, and the difference is insane. My goodness. Just, I don't know, maybe it's all the twangy stuff that caught me off guard in this album specifically. <laughs> I put I put stars next to a lot of those songs. Like, uh, uh, Yeah, I get where it? you're coming from. I'm She's been a pop artist for so long, that's what I'm used to. So going back to this, I was like, oh yeah, she was a country singer at one point. Yeah, there's like banjo in multiple songs here. It really, it really threw me. But and I want to I want to hear what Claire thinks. But I do think building off of that that I was really surprised listening to this at how well she was able to marry her older and newer styles. And there were several songs, uh, specifically "Love Stories," the one that jumped out to me, where it felt like, oh, this is a fully realized version of what she was trying to do with that song. Like, this is what this song is supposed to be, is how I felt listening to some of these tracks. Yeah, I would, I agree with that, especially in the case of Love Story. I think that it's interesting in that they are, in my mind, pretty similar to the to the originals. And I that's sort of, you know, the point in doing this is not to re, you know, remake the wheel, but rather to own the rights to the wheel, right? <laughs> and so I, I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, I think I was interested in, it's just... I think you're getting at exactly the point there, Garrett, which is that it is just really fully realizing what these things could have been in uh, 2008. So I don't know what the math on that is. What, 11 years ago? Nope, that's that's wrong. 13, 13 years, years ago. Yep, I got there. Um, and yeah, and so it's. I just feel like it's a more mature version of the album that was once created. And I think that that's really cool. And I think that that's really special. I also think that... Um, Sort of like like the best day is one of my favorite songs from the album, right? And that one's all about like your parents and you're young and like that sort of thing. And so that one specifically for me was very interesting to listen to because I was like, oh, she she's old now and looking back on these days that you know 
going to the mall with her mom when she's in high school. And I think that that's sort of an interesting, like, maturity thing almost about this. Um, That comes through lyrically more there, but I also just think that it's, like, matured vocals on things. Like, there's, what was it? There's, like, a specific note in 15 that I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And, like, if you listen to it directly with the original version, I think it's very interesting to just see how things have changed in that regard, too. Um, sort of rambled there. I apologize. No, yeah. That no, was, you're yeah. good. I think it's... Yeah, we know nothing. I think especially Keep with the best day. Also really true. don't. <laughs> I think especially what you brought up with the best day of... I was really struck by how similar the orchestration on that one was, because a lot of it had been, like like i feel like more orchestrated the the tracks before that and the best day felt very very similar yeah and a lot of the the difference was in the way she was singing and the intonation in her voice yeah um that gave it a more pensive tone i think not that it isn't a a reflective slow song to begin with but that yeah i did feel the age a little bit there and uh i really enjoyed that we had uh, Forever and Always, that was much more similar to the original version, but then we go back to the piano version, which is just... Parentheses piano version, that is. Of course. Yeah, parenthe- no. Forever and Always, parentheses piano version, parentheses Taylor's yes. version. Which I think is so... It feels like an adult who understands heartbreak and understands the th- the themes that she was singing about all those years ago, and singing about it with a reverence that the other one doesn't quite... I mean, I just think it's still a good song, but just absolutely soul-crushingly sad now. Yeah. I think it's really good. Yeah, I, I definitely think really like good. the piano version better than the regular version, at least. I, I don't know a ton 100%. about like the differences in general from the actual original originals, but I think you guys are both touching on like a very important thing, and that is like the time and the history that goes between her and this music now that you can kind of hear in those more emotionally charged and slower songs like that one. I guess they're all emotionally charged. They're all so sad. There's like three songs <laughs> in this album that isn't like really about some sad stuff. Yeah, man, aren't they? Mo- they're like all about breakups in some way. Well, I wouldn't say all about breakups, but they're all about heartbreak in different ways for the most yeah, part it's, it's I'd say. all very much like about love whether you want it or you don't have it or you lost it but it's very much centered on like what stage of that you are in i really like the first five like tracks it's... because it ends with white horse and that kind of gives at least for those five tracks a bit of an arc and I really, I, I really oh, like that. I was gonna ask if that, if uh, that was like a sequel to Love Story or something, but then I realized that she also just sings about being a princess a lot, and that might be a bigger thing than just those two songs. Just a bit of a note on track five. Track fives on all of Taylor Swift's albums are sort of infamously the saddest ones. Like All Too Well on Red is track five. Um, uh, what is it on folklore oh i know what it is it's my tears ricochet on on evermore i believe or maybe that's on folklore maybe i'm getting my mores confused there but it's folklore is my tears ricochet. yes yeah. yes and so that's sort of like a, a infamous thing that is always anticipated in in taylor swift's uh, that's albums fun. that's all yeah. yeah is there a reason for that or is that just like how it's worked out every time i th- i mean i think nothing that she does isn't plotted at this point Right, in yes. my mind um so I, I i would have to think about what it is on debut i think it's cold as you um and so i would assume that it just sort of 
you know, happened once and then she stuck with it. But it's, they're all very, yeah. But I'm trying to think, I don't know. I almost want to say that it's not track five. Maybe it's not track five on the platinum version. Maybe that's what it is. I think Forever and Always piano version is, is put forth in the, in the, and sort of throws off the track list on the platinum version of Fearless. Anyway, I digress. Um, But it's like Dear John and All Too Well and all of just her saddest mm. ones are always track five is really all I'm saying there. Yeah. So with the arc of an album, I think that that's very intentional and very um, much a thing throughout. Mm. Um, Just sort of with like the narrative of the first five that Ricardo was talking about. Um, Yeah. I also think that definitely here, the the fairy tale sort of imagery is very much there. Um, I also think that that's interesting. If we look at the album, can I can I switch to the album cover for a second? Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So the album the album cover here, if we look at the album cover of of the t- Taylor's version of Fearless, it's her and she's wearing like a Romeo-ish, it's like a peasant shirt, but it's like a Romeo-ish shirt is sort oh, of yeah. what the like Swifty community, if you will, <laughs> was talking about. And I think that that's a really interesting like flip because in the original Fearless album cover, like it's very much reminiscent of it, but she's sort of, she's she's angled the opposite way. And in the original one, she's wearing a dress and here she's wearing that shirt. Um, and I think that there's some mm-hmm. sort of like maturity and something like rewriting a narrative that's that she's getting at there. Because as I've said before, and as a lot of people will tell you, that just nothing is, you know, left to chance, right, when it comes to good old Taylor Swift. So I think that that's interesting. And I don't really know what to make of it, but I think it's worth noting. Um, but the, yeah, and then going back to the fairy tale imagery just a little bit, I think that it's something that you can kind of see in the later albums as well, but it's as, like, the most straightforward it is is th- throughout Fearless. It's sort of a track in that album. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of, like, allusions to Thing, the, there's allusions to previous songs and a lot of Taylor songs, and I think that that's interesting. So some of these themes come back in less explicit ways, I suppose, as you go on in her discography. Yeah. Also, in that note, there's okay. I'm really switching gears again here, and I'm, I'm sorry. It's all good. I'm just sort of stream of consciousness going here. Okay. So Mr. Perfectly Fine, which was the third single, the second parentheses from the vault, mm-hmm. um, song that was re- mm-hmm. re- that was released prior to the album drop day um that one there's a line in that um it's like mr casually cruel and casually cruel in the name of being honest is a line in all too well um and so i think that sort of some of those lyrical parallels are very interesting to see um both just listening to the first however many 20 tracks on the album that we've heard before but then in the last six that are those new songs i think it's interesting to see like these things that she sat on for years almost where it's like oh, that casually cruel like that that lyric is one that was there in 2008 but didn't get released it until red and mm, i should know my years 2013 2012 seems like that's right um 2012 was red um yeah yeah and it's just all it how it all builds on on one another is fascinating and i think going back and listening to an album that i haven't listened to in full even though you know this is the new version of it um listening to an album that i hadn't listened to in full in a few years um i just think it's fascinating to see how much there are through lines in her work i remember being you know 10 11 and going through Claire, your CD <laughs> of the like it going through the liner notes yeah. 
And and you were telling even then you would be like, oh, people think that this in this liner note means this because she did this with it, like you know. Well, a fun thing, a fun thing is that if you do go through the liner notes, like the which is I think also fun is this is how she like announced the the release date as well is there's re- there's letters capitalized and all the lyrics right and that's like mm-hmm. it's just a it's it's fun yeah i don't know i i also like fearless i think fearless is one of my favorite albums um i mean there's they're all one of my favorite albums obviously but <laughs> <laughs> um, i think it's i think it's funny to use that phrasing when there's not that many things to pick from anyway i digress <laughs> um fearless is is the first taylor swift album that i remember listening to i think i owned debut um, her self-titled album, Taylor Swift, but I, I, like, I have vivid memories of listening to Fearless on, like, this big white boombox CD player that I had in my room, and, like, I listened to it on repeat, getting ready for school, like, elementary school. Um, and so I think it's also, that's another thing about these that's so cool, is it's, like, the people who were listening to it and were, like, thinking about, like, their middle school crushes the first time they were listening to it have now also matured. Um, and sort of, like, getting to revisit music that was important to you at, like, that point in your life and having grown up, like, alongside an artist and then, like, ha- seeing their more mature-, mature take on it as you're also more mature is something that I think is, like, really kind of unheard of. Um, and I think what makes this re-recording for me, I think that this is going to be the most special one in that way, but, like, all of them are very, like, I think that that's just a really cool thing that is... You know, a very, a very nice side effect of something that is, you know, perhaps not the best, like, situation in so many ways for, um, yeah, it, that's just not the best situation in so many ways, like, why we're getting them, but I think it's a really special thing and a really cool thing, yeah. I, I agree. I don't think there's ever been anything like it in the history of music that I can think of, and, and obviously you can go see artists like Paul Simon and Bob Dylan come to mind, where when you go see them in concert, they're playing a completely different version of the song than the one that you hear on the album. But I cannot think of an artist who's ever, with even to this degree, I mean, obviously she's doing all of the albums, but even re-recording one entire album worth of songs in a from a different style and in a more mature take on it but is just insane. i think what's also so cool is i don't know that it is a different style right it's it's doing i i think it's weirdly uh, very authentic and very true to the original ones just i don't know i don't know how to articulate what i'm trying to say but i don't know that it is a different style like i think it's very faithful while just being a little bit more polished or pensive or whatever word you want to use there um that it maintains the spirit of the original album while also benefiting from the decade plus of songwriting orchestration and performing experience that she's had as the most successful music artist on the planet (laughs) and you know all the stuff you're saying about how kind of growing with the music and getting to reflect back on it as it was then and as it is now with the artist who's also like gone on whatever similar kind of journey would you like are you a, a taylor's version for life now or do you would you go back and listen to the the original version of this is this one superior in general i mean i i think they're different right but i think that sort of you know on a on a moral level the reason in so many ways that they were recorded right mm-hmm. is so you can listen listen to the music and give the royal and like she gets the royalties mm-hmm. right and like her sort of ownership there 
Um, and I think that this did a very cool thing where it's like, if they differed incredibly from the original versions, I think I would be like hard pressed to not like listen to the original Hey Steven, if Hey Steven stuck in my head, right? But I think that these did a cool thing, which is that they stayed authentic enough <laughs> to the original versions where I, I feel like I don't need to listen to the original versions to sort of like get my fix, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I really um, like the, uh, no. the that concept for this as a as a whole, where it's essentially this whole album's a big old middle finger to her old record label. Oh yeah, well deserved middle finger to that record label. Oh yeah, which we'll get into in just a second for our pop culture reference. But I wanna I wanna ask Claire, yes. what song do you like? Well, it's two parts. One, what is your favorite from the Vault song? But two. What song do you think is the most improved in Taylor's version? That is a good question. It's a big question. Um, my favorite from the vault is I. Okay, I. It is. It has been fewer than twenty four hours. It's been like what sixteen hours since it <laughs> came out. So I have not. I have not had time to listen to them all as much as I as I would like to to give it a, a informed answer to this question. But. Um, I really like Mr. Perfectly Fine. I think it is wonderful. I think that it is the right amount of, like... Like, that one just feels very 2008, but, like, in a really cool way. I really like Mr. Perfectly Fine from The Vault. Um, That's also the one that I've listened to the most. Um, So that could be something to do with that. Like, when I listen to Don't You More, perhaps I will, you know, have stronger feelings about that. But, um... I really, and this sort of gets out something that you were saying earlier, Garrett, um, I don't, I like the Forever and Always Piano version on the original, um, version of Fearless, but it was always, like, like, I would say Fearless is a no-skip album, and I will stand by that, however, if I were to skip one, it would have been that, um, but I think that sort of the maturity and, like, the gut-wrenching heartache that comes with the Forever and Always piano version, or Forever and Always parentheses piano version, parentheses Taylor version, <laughs> um, I think is really, really great. I also, listening to 15, um, like, just something about 15 specifically being re-recorded is, is really, really cool for me, and I don't know why I want, I don't know if it's just, like, the, like, nature of the song like lyrically it's about being 15 and so you know whenever i was first listening to this i was like thinking about i was like i will be in high school one day but i was like in fifth grade right and now as a junior in college i think listening to that song for the first time again being able to look back on my time in high school opposed to like looking forward to it i think that that's really cool and i think that that's sort of you know a narrative that could be applied to all of them but the most like straightforward way of looking at that is 15 where it's explicitly telling this narrative um i also want to mention the laugh in hey steven i would be remiss to not mention um it's wonderful (laughs) yeah I i really liked hey steven i thought that like it felt Hey um, Steven is, and this is a flaming happier. hot take. This is a flaming hot take, but it is one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs of all time. I don't know why. Like, lyrically, it's nothing that special. It just, like, it's just such an earworm for me that I just, I love that song. I love that song. I mean, I'm I'm also curious, because Ricardo and I, we are, we have very little past with Taylor Swift. Ricardo, what were you drawn to in this album? Like, what was, the, what was your song that started to make you tear up? Oh, I don't think I ever teared up, but... Oh, I'm mostly joking, but, like, what, what song did you really like? 
Then you didn't <laughs> listen to You're Not Sorry. That's all I'm going to say. Get called out. Called out live. <laughs> I don't know. You, you Belong With Me has been an earworm for me for the past 10 years. So that one. Um, Mr. Perfectly finds the one I... Actually, the one I've come back to, for whatever reason, that's another earworm for me. I really like just the the production on that one. I like the the beat. What oh, about you, Shane? Uh, I've never heard of the song Jump Then Fall before, but she had this, like, Peter Frampton guitar effect going on the whole time that I it just made me love that one to death. Plus, that one, if I'm remembering, isn't one of the more sad ones, so I was... I, li- I like the upbeat ones, It is yeah. not. Okay, um... Final thoughts on Fearless, parentheses, Taylor's version, parentheses, featuring Aaron Moore's, parentheses, from the vault? Um, you know, I thought it, I thought it was good. I, I think that, you know, we're going to get into it in just a minute here. I think that it's an important album for more than just the listenability, which is, I think, pretty high. And, you know, there were a couple more on this track list that I put a little star next to that I liked than I thought I would. So I, I approve yeah, go check this one out. Get Taylor her money. Yeah, we'll make Swifties. Oh yeah, that's I was gonna yeah. ask. That's what that's what you people that's what you people are called Swifties. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I was, did you not know that one? No, I was I was racking my head trying to think of how that would go, but it's with an I E in case you're curious. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode, and Claire is going to be breaking down for us. Kind of the background, we've touched on the show before, but in more depth about why exactly Taylor Swift is working on re-recording all of her older albums and how and how that process is going, basically. Yeah, so I, I guess starting off with just what... There's a lot that could be said here. Um, I could probably do a whole episode just about this. So I'm going to just bring in a few of the key players here. But starting off just with what a master recording is, I think is like really important to know just to sort of understand the whole controversy. Um, And so a master recording is just the initial recording of any piece of music. And so it's what every thing that is distributed digitally or physically from then off has to like be copied from the master. Um, And so sort of who owns the master owns every recording then after of a given song. And so it's different than copyright, where it's not the intellectual property. It's not like the the lyrics or the orchestration of a song, but it's rather that one recording. Um, And so Taylor Swift's masters are sort of are what we're dealing with here, right? And so back in 2005, Taylor Swift signed a 13-year contract. 13 is a big number for Taylor Swift, so kind of sweet, um, with Big Machine Records. And they are, so she was with them for her first six studio albums. So that's Taylor Swift, her debut album, um, Fearless, Speak Now, Red, 1989, all the way up through Reputation in 2017. And so Big Machine Records owned the masters to every single one of those albums, right? And so any subsequent copies of any one of those songs that was distributed, bought, sold, um, all all of the royalties went back to Big Machine Records, which comprised like 80% of their revenue. They're not that big of a label beyond Taylor Swift's. So that's really like, you know, sort of a, sort of a big thing for them. And so Taylor Swift, after she left, uh, after she, her contract ended with Big Machine in 2019, um, she went and signed with Republic Records, who she's currently with. Um, it's a universal branch. Anyway, um, 
but she tried to buy back her masters from uh, Big Machine Records, and she was, like, in negotiations with them for a while, and basically she just, like, could not get the deal she wanted, right? And so she was talking to them and talking to them, and she could not get the deal she wanted. And then sort of out of the blue, without Taylor's knowledge, um, her master recorded, her masters were sold to Scooter Braun, who's a pretty big player in the music industry. He, um, Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber are two big, big names that are signed with him. Um, so, and, and he's sort of the bad guy in this story, right? Where he bought her masters and just, she, she wasn't gonna budge on it. Um, and so sort of, there was, a, there was a, Taylor Swift posted a long, like, social media post about it and explaining what had happened from her point of view. Um, and so, as basically what we were saying before, just a big middle finger about the fact that she did not and could not own the rights to her own masters. She just said, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm just going to re-record all of them because I can do that. So this is our our first out of six um, re-recordings that we're going to get from Taylor Swift. And I'm excited to see, you know, what she does with the other ones. Um, so... Yeah, I'm excited to see what she does with the other ones. We got also, in addition to the 20 songs that we had heard before on Fearless in the re-recorded version, parentheses, uh, Taylor's version, um, we got six new songs, parentheses, from the vault. So I'm curious to see if there's more of those coming, which is, you know, not something that she has to do to gain the masters to those, as the masters to those were not bought by Scooter Braun, but... Um, it's sort of a, a fun thing that we're getting alongside. And so we're getting, you know, 2008 songs for the first time, which is really special. Um, I also just think that it has this whole thing, right? It's, it's very unheard of. And I think it has some very interesting implications for the future of digital music because masters are in so many ways not as important as they once were because artists rely on their labels a lot less than they once did because what previously had to be distributed via labels and like whoever they're repped by sort of doesn't anymore in a digital world and so they can direct people to Spotify on their own like it doesn't have to be their agents and their labels, you know, promoting them to radio stations. And so I think that this sort of has fascinating implications for music, just the music industry larger, um, and sort of how, where things are going to go there, um, for all sorts of artists. And Taylor Swift has really been a sort of interesting pioneer in digital music, um, all over. Like she has, a, she had a, she pulled all of her music off of Spotify once upon a time because of how the royalties worked there and paying out artists for their work there, um, and sort of got something changed, some things changed before she went back. And so I think that there's a lot of implications all over the place with what Taylor Swift is doing with digital music and copyright and artist, um, artist payouts in general. And I think that that's everything I have to say about that. Very succinctly put, I'm impressed. I think that would have been really hard I for to compress There's one player that I forgot to talk about, but he's not that important, so it's okay. Scott, <laughs> I don't even know how to say his name. I always want to say it's Bruschetta. It's not. It's like Bruschetta or whatever. He's the big machine guy, but I don't think it really matters. I think it's okay. Yeah, you really laid it down. Yeah, I know so much now. I should have probably known that listening <laughs> to this album. This is very important. I mean, I knew the basics of it, but all of that is just like one tragic step after another into her being like kind of pigeonholed into re-recording these. But I mean, ultimately, it is it's a very good thing. Yes. 
I think it's also important to note that, like, I mean, I think that we could have figured this out, but in her new, in her new deal with Republic Records, which is the universal one that she's now signed with, like, uh, the big contingency there in signing was that she owns her own masters, right? Um, which is, it's, it's a little bit out of, like, it's a little bit uncommon in the music industry. I don't really know. I should know more. I literally run a campus radio (laughs) station, but it's okay. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I do think it's very fascinating. Well, like you said, with the advent of digital music being the primary way most people listen to music, the I- like you said, the idea of a master is, is changing a lot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you look at an artist like Billie Eilish, right, who has almost entirely come up through this, this digital sensation landscape where I, I imagine most artists from now on or at least a increasing percentage of popular artists are going to own their own masters Mm -hmm. so i think you're like i was going to bring up like the spotify letter and everything with taylor swift and i think that's not something we can go into too in depth on this but you're absolutely right in that i feel like every time there is a conversation about the relationship between digital music distribution and artist compensation, Taylor Swift is at the center of it. Yeah, which I think are just, like, remarkably important conversations to be having right now, right? Like, I think that the landscape of music is so ever-changing that it's... Yeah, I I, I think that it's a little surprising to me, almost, how there aren't more artists involved because like people like sort of butt in on the like taylor swift controversies where they're like i don't love the word controversies there but i said (laughs) it so there we are um where it's like justin bieber and ariana grande were like hey scooter braun's a good guy and then halsey i think is one that was like no go taylor heck yes (laughs) right and so I, i i like but i feel like there's not as much engagement i guess from other artists in these in these conversations as i would expect um but yeah i i think well, sorry I think, go ahead no i was gonna i was gonna say i almost wonder if that's because taylor swift is kind of so big that she's untouchable and she's the yeah. one that's allowed to be honest enough to have these conversations without like getting blacklisted you know yes and no i don't know i mean i think like justin bieber could if he wanted to well, well, right? sure. You know? Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not saying that I support them coming out in defense of Scooter Braun, but I'm saying that Taylor Swift is often the person with the means to stick up for that kind of artistic right. representation when other artists might not want to risk right. it. See, so yeah, I think I think that wraps us up for this pop culture reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we all learned a lot, except for maybe Claire, who taught us Very a lot. educational. This is our educational <laughs> yeah, exactly. episode. Moving on to... Pop quiz. So, since we have a guest this week, we're going to be taking pop quiz a little bit differently. Those of you who listened when we had Diego on a little while ago, right, remember, might remember the stakes for a guest pop quiz, which, you know... Seamus Ricardo, they're putting down their boxing gloves for now, so their their scores are going to remain with Ricardo to a head for at least another week. But here, we're going to have it so Claire, of course, as the guest, is going to pick the category. And if she wins the pop quiz, she is going to pick a topic that we have to mention on the show for the next four weeks. So when Diego was on and he won, 
he picked Fifty Shades of Grey, which Seamus dutifully carried for us the that whole month. And if Seamus or Ricardo wins, Claire's gonna have to record a little bumper for us advertising what a great podcast we are, you know, because we're the best. We're the guest. We're the best pop culture reference. Well, we're the only pop. We're the best pop culture <laughs> podcast around. You I'm are sorry, the best it. podcast called Pop Culture Reference. That is for sure. I'll say that one hey, without even losing. What up? There, there it is. Hey. There's the truth. Okay, so for those of you playing along at home, if you want to know how this game works, basically Claire's going to pick a category, and then I'm going to read a question, and the first person to answer the question correctly wins. If there is a tie or nobody knows the answer, then we're going to move on to our other category as a tiebreaker. Mm. So, Claire, here is your category choice. Either Loki or Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know, Garrett, I'm going to go with Who Taylor Swift. Alright, Taylor Swift. What Swift song is the fastest selling digital single of all time? Ooh, lover? No, it's gonna be B. It, is it We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together? Oh, it is. <laughs> 2012's We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, which reached number one on iTunes within I don't know 50 why I, minutes of its I release. Gonna it was gonna be that or Shake It Off. Do. I don't know why I groaned before, like, it's I was shaking. gonna be even close to getting that answer. Like, ah, oh, you got me, <laughs> darn. I almost said Shake It Off. I feel like Shake It Off also is some sort of record in that vein, but I don't know. Well, damn, I know we weren't going for points today, but I'm still bummed I'm no closer to becoming Claire's brother-in-law. I'm I'm really, really upset by that. <laughs> she probably doesn't know what that means. No, I, kn- I knew she wouldn't. And we're but not going to clarify. No, we're not. We're absolutely not. Are you battling for Garrett's hand in marriage? Is that That's exactly that? right, actually, yeah, okay. yes. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Good guess. Weird. Yeah, fascinating. (laughs) Now it's time for Howling Commandos, where we break down the latest episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. As always, we're going to be talking spoilers right off the bat, so this is your official spoiler warning. If you've not caught up with episode 4 of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, go do that, then come back here. Claire's not going to be joining us for this segment because she doesn't watch the show regularly, but she will be back for Save the Rec Center right after this, so stay tuned. But what did you guys I think? I don't of? feel safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got thought. Let's let's just get into the meat of this. There's <laughs> we got some hair on New Cap's face, and it is turning him evil, huh? My God. Yeah, it's it's intense. I, I, okay, let's talk about the fact that this is the first show episode from any of these Marvel shows that has made me feel like this is a full episode of television where more than two things happen. Yeah, there's there's like definitely a lot uh, between the like meeting between Carly and the the gang and all this crazy new cap stuff. Yeah, it felt like a good a good hunk of story getting given to us, especially because they left it off on that lovely little cliffhanger last episode. So that character's name is Ao, which we did not know last week. And she is yeah. actually from, like, the other movies. She's in Civil yeah, War she's from Civil- and Black Panther. I, d- I didn't remember that. Yeah. M- move or you will be moved. Uh-huh. That's right. Yes. Oh, man. So, There's that. I I shout out to that awesome move she did where she just, like, turns off Bucky's arm and just, like, flops <laughs> over. Loved that. Oh, yeah. The Dormelage are, they're just incredible in this. 
they badasses all over the world, man. Hell yeah, and they take all of the wind out of John Walker's sails. It is it is something to see. Well, I was like high key pretty disappointed when we left Wakanda. We were in Wakanda at the opening. I was like, yes, let's go, and then <laughs> no mas. That was good to see too. Bucky's whole recovery process and the moment he finds out, I was like, oh, these these code words no longer work on me. I can just be a dude now. Mm-hmm. It was powerful. I thought yeah, that, that I, I was love that opening. Really well acted too. Again, it's there's so much quiet character work going on in this show that they do not have the time to put in these movies, and I think that's really exciting. Like I would, I was kind of counting in my head as this episode was going of like, wow, this is just a quiet character scene. Wow, this is just a quiet character scene, and it's just really refreshing because this is our first suit up, uh, super soldier slash. Superhero stuff since episode one, I think, right? Yeah, I mean... Like Falcon I, and the suit and everything. I was gonna say, it was almost oh, yeah. weird seeing Sam get in the wings and, like, be all prepared to fight like that. But, uh, we're here to talk about Wyatt Russell. Uh, Super Soldier Serum, Nazis, and Wyatt Russell, they all go together. <laughs> it's a perfect storm. They really do. We're gonna see some weird, like, bulging vein shots on, like, his head and neck in a couple episodes, and he's gonna be freaking out. Uh... <laughs> They straight up killed Battlestar. I thought he was going to be around for a while, but that is that has sent uh, old John Walker into let's cut people in half with my shield mode. So, Well, they foreshadowed uh, that pretty hard this episode, like early in the episode, about like how Battlestar is like, oh, if only we had that super soldier here, think about lives we could save and all this. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Battlestar, we hardly knew ye. Yeah, I thought he Lamar. was... Lamar, I thought he was Lamar. really gonna be the thing that maybe brings John Walker back from the brink, but I guess it sends him over. Yeah, he was he was Walker's one tether to sanity. Yeah, that's the thing is that not only is his death something that's the impetus for this violence because he's out for revenge, but because we've seen multiple times throughout the series that he really is Walker's voice of reason, and now that the Super Soldier Serum has amplified Walker's pig-headedness, bull-headedness. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, Man gets his ass handed to him by a black woman one time. <laughs> yeah, he no, goes out. That really and... takes him back. <laughs> Ooh, they weren't I... even super soldiers. Yeah, that, that rocked him. And then, uh, we, we haven't talked about Zemo, the re- very reason that he was able to get that super soldier serum. Yeah, Zemo doesn't mess around with, uh, Formulas, man, smashing, smash town all the way. Yeah, this is going to turn that big pressure up from the, uh, we keep getting like, I'm going to totally come find you and kill you from the power broker. So that bubble's (laughs) got to pop soon because there's not (laughs) that many episodes left. Two more, yeah. So, and I mean, when Zemo was stomping those vials, I was like, good for him. That's good for him. (laughs) Yeah, kind of good for everybody. He's got okay motivations. I agree. (laughs) That's something... That I really like, and I mean, it is kind of following in the steps of Black Panther in that way, of this show is very interested in being like, you know what, the villains are right, though. <laughs> like, they're yeah. just doing it the wrong way. Except Zemo for, wasn't mean, such a prick, maybe we'd get somewhere. I mean, Man. obviously we've got Evil Cap now, so that's interesting. That's not, he's not, his heart's not in the right place, I would argue, but the... But you've got yeah, Zemo probably and you've got not. the Flag Smashers. But. Man, that Flag Smasher guy that got killed by New Cap was 
it, he was the guy that was like, I used to love Captain America, you know, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that was, that was pretty hard to, to see just the, which in retrospect probably should have seen it coming. Yeah. Right. I, I totally let that fly over me of just like, Oh, ironic, huh? And then you see that <laughs> shot of John Walker standing all heroic with his bloody shield. And what an image. Ugh, love what that. Gave, image. gave me chills. Yeah. I, that whole sequence, man, I was just flipping my absolute mind. Yeah, it's 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 brutal. All the all the cameras flipping out, all just him not caring that he totally just ruined his own personal like you can't come back from that. You just totally no. killed that dude. Also, this middle is something of the in the middle of the up city, broad yeah. daylight, <laughs> surrounded by people. Something I was thinking about this week is why does it seem like the only thing that ever scratches the paint on Cap Shield is Black Panther's claws? Because like, is it vibranium infused paint? Like, that's a good question. I I don't <laughs> even know. I would hope so. That sounds like the extra stuff that yeah. starts. There's vibranium in, the stuff. in everything. Hell yeah! Every part of that shield, the strap is vibranium. I really liked him getting pinned to the table like yes. through his shield. Yeah, that was awesome. This is a little bit oh. of a digression to last week's episode, but sure. how far into the Zemo cut did you guys get before you turned it off? <laughs> you tell me you didn't watch the whole thing? No, I didn't watch the whole hour-long thing, but I think it's absolute gold that, that Marvel put an official video out. Oh, oh, the... The, the dancing loop of him in the club. The dancing, yeah. <laughs> That just that just really tickled me that they would do just a big old meme like that. Well, I mean, it it's hilarious. He's dancing such a bad dance with so much confidence. <laughs> Completely alone, mind you, just in the middle of a floor of people dancing alone. But uh. yeah, I really I really liked that. I really that was funny. Since we're on Zemo, uh, you want to talk about him being super creepy to children, singing "Ba Ba Black Sheep." <laughs> oh, that was incredibly giving them Turkish delight. Which I mean, you guys, I I don't know if you guys are Narnia people, but that immediately made me think of in in the first Narnia book or the oh. fifth Narnia book or whatever, whichever Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, whatever when, one that is, the one that people know. I totally know what you're talking about. The White Witch gives. Uh, Turkish lights to the children like as like a way to entice them yeah very very creepy like that that was creepy in that book and movie Zemo's doing it in like modern day still being real creepy about it <laughs> though it but looked it, delicious I don't know what it is but it made me think about Sherlock Holmes's you know about how Sherlock Holmes has a network of homeless children oh yeah yeah oh yeah because there is a moment later where he's like if you'll excuse me my associate is up ahead and it's just a small child yeah <laughs> Very homes, very homes. We, we were getting some very good Zemo this episode in that both he was being like super evil and creepy, but also I kind of love him. Because, yeah. Like when everybody's fighting and he's just standing there sipping his drink. <laughs> it's it's yeah, gold. Zemo does what Zemo does best. He gets everyone else to fight each other and then he leaves. Yeah, he slips out of his handcuffs and bounces. Good stuff. I'm I'm really interested to see what the end get because now it seems like we have a more like straightforward clashing dynamic for the last two episodes set up. So I'm curious to see what happens with Zemo because I don't want him to just like disappear at the end. You know. Yeah, I I would be very I'd be happy if John Walker survives to be a villain again, and I'd be very happy if 
Zemo survived to be like a weird, like that Hannibal Lecter friend again, because they're both great. I'm always down for that Thunderbolts theory, having him be on a, a Dark Avengers team. Yeah, that'd be good. I mean, he might wear the Do mask we, more often. When's the last time we saw Thunderbolt Ross? I don't even know what that is, man. Civil War, probably. Civil War. He's in... Is he not in one of the one of the later Avengers movies for, like, a scene? Oh, isn't he? He's just, like, in, a, like, a hologram Zoom meeting with yeah, somebody? Yeah, he's talking to, he's talking to oh, Rhodey. Oh, that sounds like he would be. Yeah, he's right? He's talking to Rhodey. What is Make he him doing? the Red Hulk already. <laughs> which one is he, though? Like, that's... Which one's he... I, I, that seems like it must be a... That must be Infinity War. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Probably. I I do want the Red Hulk though. Just do just bring in Ed Norton for Multiverse of Madness and throw <laughs> in the Red Hulk, and we're we're good. Well, Tim Roth is coming back for something, right? They said what? that. Is he? As I what? thought we I thought Abomination. Oh yeah, he's a She Hulk. Abomination is back for yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that we might have talked about that before. I watched and now care about the Hulk movie. <laughs> right, because. Seamus, in two months, you'll definitely remember anything about that movie. So, Dude, I thought that movie was awesome. That movie was top quality phase one, man. Better <laughs> Did than Thor. Did you like Thor. it when it had the first climax, or the second climax, or the third climax? I liked it all. I love that sweaty, panting, just, like, action all the time. They don't show the Hulk for, like, an hour in that movie. It's great. I like when he says, smash. <laughs> Oh, uh, they have so many setups. I just want them paid off already. Like the ultimate <laughs> long game. Do you like it when Martin Starr is there with his pizza, and then and then Disney years later was like, "Oh, we put Martin Starr in a Marvel already. They're the same guy. It's fine." Yeah, they give me the same guy. Yeah, why not? I I almost let that like slide until I was like, "Oh yeah, he's the weird teacher in Spider Man." It lines up. Yeah, why not? Sure. Yeah, of course that was always Peter Parker and Iron Man 2. <laughs> hey, that's Iron Man 3 to you. Is it? I think it is Iron Man 2. I think it's at the Stark yeah. Expo. What? No, it's not. I just watched that movie. You're you're thinking of the kid he meets in that small Colorado town? or Is that what I'm thinking of? Up. Yeah, you're thinking yeah. of the wrong thing, Seamus, you moron. I just watched Avengers again. That's uh, Iron Man 3 is next on my list, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Iron Man 2, the kid that he saves in the Iron Man mask and the fake arc reactor. Oh, yeah, right, from the from the army robots, right? Mm-hmm. Hot take. I think Iron Man 3 is fine. Hot take. This is mostly probably all getting cut, but yeah, I kind oh, of yeah, agree. 100%. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, Iron Man 3 is a fine movie. It's, it's a much better Tony Stark movie than it is an Iron Man movie. Yeah, maybe. That's probably why I like it. I like the whole... Down to basics has to build his tech out of Home Depot stuff. I thought yeah, that's that was what I, fun. Yeah, I like it too, and I wish that the action in that movie were better. <laughs> like, yeah, and Ben the ben whole Kingsley's ending where where uh, where the Reaper is is in his his Iron Patriot outfit on a loading. Do- I don't care. Oh, they're glowing red now. Oh, oh, oh Pepper Potts is dying. Oh. <laughs> Ah, uh, fuck. I, I saw a copy of but that. But we're not here to talk about Iron Man 3. We are, yeah. Oh, Iron, we're here to live in fear no of John Walker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What is there left to say? I mean, honestly, I felt like we were going to have a lot to talk about this episode, but I feel like we just kind of hit, like, 
it was a really good episode, and there was a lot. That we happened. should talk. You want to talk about Sam and the the conversation? You want to go in depth with that? With oh Charlie? yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. The 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 lighter humanitarian side of avenging. Yeah, definitely. It's something that you know you. It's always in my mind when I think about Sam as a character that he did really start off in that uh, counseling environment, and that's like how he met with Captain America and how he kind of was able to sympathize so much with with Cap and the others. And I don't know, it felt so heartbreaking when John Walker burst in through that after they seemed to be making all this interesting progress with each other. I don't know, it felt very allegorical to like let's try the peaceful option for 30 <laughs> seconds before america gets you know impatient and kicks the door in but mm-hmm. no i love Come the on, idea and you couldn't wait 10 minutes yeah oh, the worst <laughs> i also love the idea that he's complaining about how wakanda doesn't have dur- jurisdiction somewhere where he literally does not have yeah dur- they- wait, <laughs> does I guess does that the was an incredible line from the Dormelage. The Dormelage have jurisdiction wherever the Dormelage find themselves to be. Yeah, I love that too. Ooh, yeah. Um, did, I guess he's he's backed by the GRC. I guess so. Technically, legally, he does have jurisdiction. I guess doesn't he? But like nobody likes him anyway. <laughs> Either way, everybody's <laughs> like, oh, this yeah. guy's just walking around the streets, busting people in half with a sword or shield. Excuse but me. They yeah, they don't uh, they don't have much attention for jurisdiction in these movies like like bucky and sam should be in jail like they, very true like they, 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 they like tried to touch on that during that uh first wingsuit chase at the helicopter in the first episode where they're like we can't you only have like 20 more miles before you're in blah 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 airspace and that was like the last we heard about it until now it makes me wonder, maybe there will be something more important that comes up. I mean, also the, the theme of borders, as we get into in that conversation uh, with Carly at the funeral, is really important. The idea that with so many fewer people in the world, that borders kind of came down, and a lot of the biases and prejudices that divided the world before the snap were, were kind of gone. And I think it does go to show, like, how much I try, I'm trying to think of like the right term like obviously the Avengers in these movies are supposed to be like the good guys and then theoretically should be welcome wherever they're trying to go but I, I think the idea of like the borders kind of keeping justice from being served is like because the borders keep becoming a barrier for like the Dormelagi don't have jurisdiction quote unquote Sam can't catch the bad guy because he's going to get into Libyan airspace right mm. So I think that, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to be building off of, and it made it made me think a lot about what happened to Wakanda during the snap during those five mm, years. That's true. Like, did I, they did, did they self isolate even more, or did they actually open back up to the world? I wonder if that's what Black Panther Two is going to be about, since they said they're not recasting Chadwick Boseman, and that'd be a way to still do a, a Black Panther movie in Wakanda without him. That's true. Or maybe that I, Wakanda I show as well. They might have a a good flashback element to it to show like if they were humanitarian or if they kind of yeah locked it down again. I don't want to. I don't want to stray too off the path. But there has been a a growing online movement to actually recast Chadwick Boseman. Have you guys seen this? What? I haven't. No. Really? That a lot of a lot of people are saying that 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 while Chadwick Boseman did a really good job and is iconic and stuff that. 
that character is a symbol to so many people around the world that they shouldn't just let him disappear that like that T'Challa is like this huge character to which I say like you know it's going to be a very I would I would imagine a lot of Black Panther 2 is going to be a Spider-Versey like anyone can wear the mantle sort of thing. Yeah, that's Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was thinking too. I don't know. I feel like that 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 is very strange to me. I feel like that is the bigger point of like the Black Panther as the character maybe is the symbol that is needed and not maybe the specific version of Black Panther. Well, while we're talking about symbols, uh, that reminds one of the things I really like what they're doing with uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is what they're doing with the shield and all the talk of symbols. Like anyone that talks about it's like that shield means something to me or it represents. Some, they never get into specifics, but it means something to so many people. And you can easily replace the word shield with flag. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Like, I love how it's just a representation of America. Yeah, damn. Way to steer us back onto anywhere that we need to be in this segment, <laughs> Ricardo, because that is actually a very great point. I think they're definitely trying to do that with all, like, the, you know, the black Captain America angle and the... Uh, who was it? Yeah, it was one of the other guys that John Walker was rated of just like, yeah, I don't care who you are, what that means to you, because to me that's worse than nothing. It's interesting. I hope I, I hope they kind of, they, they almost talked about it in this episode, I think, of like destroying the shield, just like getting rid of it altogether, moving on to something I think that's new. The, I think that's the third time in four episodes that they've mentioned destroying the shield, so I think that either they're trying to make us think that's going to happen, or they're actually foreshadowing that maybe that is coming up. We'll see. I think maybe it needs to be destroyed. Well, I think probably. I know, that's a whole that's a whole thing. Like they said, I think even in this episode, that shield's got a complicated history, just like you know, America itself has a complicated history. Just the symbols, again, I just really like... Like, Steve Rogers is America's ideals and what we could have been. John Walker is what America actually is. And we've got two episodes to go to see how farther he sinks before he either, like, just gets removed from the Captain America position or he gets baby killed. But, yeah, I don't know. A lot of talk about supremacy this episode. Yeah, that was that heavy stuff. What, I mean, like, that, the idea that Steve Rogers never thought he was better than anybody because he had the super soldier serum. And looking at Walker and thinking it's that he thinks because he's better than everybody that he deserves the super soldier serum. And then matching that with, there's that conversation with Carly and the other gentleman who gets killed later, where he's like, I never thought there could be another Captain America until I met you. And that was pretty interesting that they there more people considering Carly to be the next Captain America figure than how people are treating John Walker. I, I love that people, like, randomly recognize it. Like, sure, he's the face of a national camp, or an international campaign or whatever, but just the idea that if people are coming up and asking him for his autograph when he's just really, he's just like a guy in a cafe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That's part of it, man. It's all that fame is going to his head. He can't, can't live with it. And then real real quick, I, th- I think we're ready to wrap up, but lastly, is are they trying to make the new Captain America an Avenger? Because oh. there's been no talk of the Avengers, really. True. So is he just his own thing? I actually don't remember where they fell. Like after Endgame, a lot of them went off and did their own thing. Are the Avengers even still around, really? I guess because I guess technically after Civil War they don't exist. I guess, and so they only like unofficially reteamed to fight Thanos. True. <laughs> um. 
So yeah, I, I think yeah, that's I... a question that's going to have to get... Okay, what's going on... Let's think. Okay, what's going on in Far From Home? Because that, Yeah, that's what I was trying to think about. And all we really get is that everybody... All the heroes are unavailable except for <laughs> Spider-Man to deal with Jake Gyllenhaal. Spider-Man is the only Avenger left, is what I'm hearing. Spider-Man, <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, everyone else is either busy or dead. God, yeah, weird. We gotta see some, maybe Doctor Strange will pull everybody's heads out of their wherevers and get them to team up to save some worlds or whatever. We need more team Is Doctor Strange an Avenger? Does he count? Yeah, I guess he's more of a like, collaborator. Avengers are, are, is such a nebulous term, like because I think in this episode when Zemo name drops the Avengers, Sam's like, "Those are our friends you're talking about." Like he's not an Avenger, and it's like Sam is definitely an Avenger, right? <laughs> I, is <laughs> like, I feel like Bucky is too. He gets the honorary Avengers for nah, no, nah, maybe not. He had some Bucky. Beef. I don't know. Bucky, I would say, is more of a collaborator than he's more like a Black Panther than anything, you know. God, I guess I I considered Black Panther an Avenger too, but I guess he's just like a king dealing with his own stuff. Happens to coincide with some Avenger stuff. <laughs> but like Falcon is nothing if not a like he's literally the Avenger in Ant Man at the Avengers facility. Yeah, he's the government sponsored Avenger. But then doesn't he is is Ant Man an Avenger? This is too much of a rabbit hole. I, for I will to go stand down by that Ant Man is an Avenger, and anybody can fight me on that. Well, because <laughs> I love they that. gotta make cards, man, <laughs> like IDs. Everybody was wearing an ID badge. Junior Avenger intern. Maybe that's what the young Avengers will be. I don't yeah, know. Avenger interns. There you go. They they've set up Patriot. That's true. They set up. That's uh, true. I, actually. Really, that's what the, that's what the John Walker stuff really is, is a better executed version of the Iron Patriot stuff from Iron Man 3. Yeah, I guess it kind of is, isn't it? Okay. All right. Let's move on to Save the Rec Center. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. So Claire's actually going to be going last this week as our guest. She's closing out the show. So what do you guys got? You'll, well, I'll, I'll I'll hit it first. Claire, I don't know how much of a video game person you are, or if you ever, you know, go back and play on Garrett's PlayStation or whatever, but one of the free games this month for PlayStation Plus was Days Gone. Uh, that was also, I believe, a part of the PlayStation Plus collection, Garrett, that you got for PS5, but yep. I just got it for the first time to play around with, and it is, it is a lot of fun, you know? It's, it's like less serious than uh the last of us and it's got like the like badass biker hick angle like the walking dead but better than that because it's not the walking dead it's uh it's real interesting if if you're looking to kill some time and just like fight creepy monsters it's it's definitely worth a shot Seamus, I'm going to need you to apologize to the Telltale Walking Get Dead series right oh, now. Oh, okay. Hey, hold the phone. I would never talk ish about that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the show and that terrible Daryl Dixon video game they tried to make like 10 years ago. Other than that. Yeah, I've, I've not played this one, Seamus, but you, I, something I admire about you is you are always on the PlayStation Plus game of the month. You are like the, se- like the second I turn on my PlayStation. <laughs> Dude, I, yeah, I, I burn through them in the month between their releases, and I, I try to get that platinum, and I'm often scrambling for a new one as soon as it's out, so. Wow, you're an elite alpha gamer. Yeah, MLG, Mountain Dew, and Doritos for breakfast, you get it. <laughs> what year pro- am I thinking about a video game player right now, just, like, 
<laughs> make it no sense. We're throwing it for... back to 2008. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, if... there you go. No. If it's for breakfast... You gotta talk about G Fuel <laughs> and Twitch. If it's for breakfast, Seamus, do you like pour the Mountain Dew into a bowl full of Doritos and eat it with a spoon? Have you ever seen that real life video of that one guy making like a blender smoothie with green Mountain Dew and Doritos? <laughs> it's that, and it's disgusting. Ricardo, what do you got? I'm uh, I'm on brand today. I'm I'm doing music. One of my personal favorite artists, uh, Aurelio Voltaire. Seamus, you can speak Hell to this. Hell yeah. He's uh, the the exact genre that he works in is kind of hard to pin down. Uh, I'll just say like gothic cabaret. Yeah, spooky core music. Singer. Yeah, a lot of his work has is steeped in like the goth scene and you know the the creepy stuff and horror anyone listening you might know him if you watched uh the grim adventures of billy and mandy back in the day which is how i was introduced to him he uh there's a whole episode where it's just a music video for his song brains and it's again like i said that's where i got introduced to him there's a fun story behind that where the creator of that show and him just kind of met in a bar a goth bar one time and he's like, hey, I have, I've got a, a cartoon. You want to be on it? He's like, yeah, sure. Prove it. And <laughs> he did. And then they collaborated. And he's been one of my go-to artists ever since. I've seen him in concert twice. Personal hero of mine. Multi-talented. He's also a stop-motion animator. Uh, wrote a novel. Has done some kids' picture books. Comic artist. So, so yeah, he's on Spotify if you want to check him out. What I'm hearing is he's a real renaissance guy. Yeah, yeah. You could probably tell that from his uh, outfits, too. They're, they've all got that kind of style. Very cool. A, a, a cultural icon I knew nothing about. Yeah, he's he's great. I, I, I second this as well as I usually do with Ricardo's weird and obscure rec centers. <laughs> uh, Garrett, what do you got this week, buddy? You know, I was having a hard time, but... I'm thinking I'm just going to rec center the album Lover because it's really good. Oh, okay. And Ooh, I'm keeping I'm great. Keeping also it, on brand. I'm keeping it on brand. Yeah, kind of like Ricardo was saying with with on music and specifically on Taylor Swift. That is an album that I absolutely adore and I listen to it all the time. And I was listening to it earlier this week because I was so hyped for this album coming out. And I think it's just good. It's got a really nice mix of, of like poppy songs and more ballady stuff, and I, I think it's just a good listen. It's a no skip album, like Claire was saying earlier. And I can only assume it's somewhere down the line of being re-recorded in a couple years. I mean, I don't know. It where is it actually. Falls. It's not. Oh. It's it's album number seven, and so it's the first one mm-hmm. where she owned her own masters. It's the first one with Republic Records. All right. Well, there you go. That's even better. Yes. Yes. So that is, as far as I'm aware, yes, as far as I'm aware, that's the only lover that we're, that's the only version of lover we're going to get, but who knows. You can't wait for Shake It Off, Taylor's version. (laughs) It's going to be big. All right, Claire, finish, finish us out. I'm also going to give us some music today. Um, another, my, my number two most listened to artist on Spotify behind Taylor Swift for the last, you know, Taylor Swift has been for the last every year that I've ever gotten one. But um, my number two artist last year was Lake Street Dive. And they're like a like, I don't really know what genre to call them. They're sort of like 
rocky, poppy, R&B-y. Um, they put out an album, I want to say it was uh, early March, called Obviously, and it's a, it's a good listen. It's just, like, happy songs. They're, like, I don't know. I like them, so that would be, that would be my pop culture recommendation. I put the emphasis on rec there, right? Um, for today. Yeah. <laughs> very, very nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show this week, Claire. It really, really helped us out. Uh, you kind of schooled us on a Taylor Swift crash course. And do you want, do you want to plug yourself on socials or anything like that? Uh, all my socials are at Claire Strother. Um, you can also follow at the Olaf Messenger or at Kesto Radio. Those are two. I don't know. You can you can find more of me there. Really, you can also hear me um, live and on air, um, and not a podcast form, but rather a radio form. Although it is still digital streaming, so who really cares? Um, Thursdays eight to nine on KestoRadio.org backslash listen, or actually it's a forward slash. I lied. Slash listen. Um, that's my campus radio station, and I have a radio show on there called Is Your Refrigerator Running? And so I talk about music and play lots of the music that I like on there. You were literally playing a song from this album on there last night. I can't It's true. That. I was. I was. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much. Next week, we're going to be talking Firefly on the show in commemoration of the new Firefly comic series that's coming out. So... Oh, I didn't even realize it was so soon. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. Time's flying, guys. Yeah, here and we then are. The week after that, Mortal Kombat. And... It's amazing how that show just sprang out of nowhere with no creative person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna gonna be exciting to talk about that one, boys, because that's gonna be a tricky one to navigate. But <laughs> we'll dive a little bit. We'll dive a little bit deeper on that next week. But Claire, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. Yeah, go, thanks for having me. Go stream Fearless. Parentheses Taylor's version. Of course. Don't stream Fearless, not parentheses Taylor version. That would be bad. That's the opposite of what you wanted to. Damn you, Scooter Braun. <laughs> <laughs>